You are listening to Ace Comicals. My name's Greg. Today I'm joined by my co-host Leon. Let's get started. Welcome to Ace Comicals episode number 32. So first of all, um, I should say a belated happy Easter. Um, We've just had the Easter weekend, so by the time this comes out, Easter's all over and done with and you're all full of chocolate eggs and you're all wishing you hadn't eaten all those chocolate eggs. Um, So here we are and it's just me and Leon today. So uh, Leon, what have you been up to over this fine Easter period? Uh, I've been chilling out a lot. It's been quite busy in uh, life and work recently. So I use the uh, sort of Easter week, the four-day weekend, to to chill out and uh, to consume some media in the best way possible. Um, uh, I didn't go overboard with the Easter eggs. Uh, I got uh, as far as I know so far because I was I was away for the weekend. I got uh, one really, really nice hotel chocolate Easter egg and uh, enjoyed that. But uh, yeah, didn't go overboard, didn't didn't go ham on any hot cross buns or anything like that. So kept it quite chill. But like, um, yeah, during during the weekend, found some time to uh, catch up on some things. So listeners may remember, I think it was two episodes ago, I was... Um, I was away for the cast because I had uh, a work emergency like a minute before we were about to record. And um, that sort of um, was a weird confluence of events where certain things broke down and I had to rush into work to help get that sorted. But what what it did do is that it it ruined the streak that I was going for. So like uh, people on the cast may have picked up uh, or listeners uh, may have picked up that I'm uh, quite a film nerd. And uh, this year, I was trying to watch all um, nine of the Best Picture nominees uh, before the Oscars. And the Oscars were the night of our recording, of that recording. And I'd caught up with every film, apart from The Shape of Water, uh, Guillermo del Toro's uh, The Shape of Water. Um, and I was going to, going to see it at the cinema after our podcast recording at 3pm. But because I had to go into work, I missed it. And I ended up having to cancel my uh, uh, Oscars party that I was going to have uh, go over to a mates and hang out. Uh, and then, uh, but I still, uh, in defiance, I, I was like, no, I'm not going to let completely ruin my evening. Stayed up and watched the Oscars. And then The Shade for Water bloody won. So the one movie I didn't see uh, ended up winning. Anyway, uh, long story short, um, yeah, caught, caught up with the movie. Um, really enjoyed it. Um, I have a weird thing with um, Del Toro where. Like, I really like his earlier stuff. I really like Pan's Labyrinth. But all the stuff around that, I I just love his, like, art direction and his, uh, like, just design, the look of his world, the choices that he makes. But for a lot of the time, they um, they don't end up... I don't end up loving them. I just have this weird... There's this weird barrier where I love all the ingredients, but the final meal just comes out and leaves me a bit cold. So with all the buzz that was happening with this movie, I thought, okay, whatever, so check it out. I mean, if if people are really into this this movie, something's got to be going on. Yeah, I really liked it. I'd uh, 
definitely recommend it. I won't go too deep into that. There's all the jokes going around about grinding Nemo and blah, blah. But yeah, beyond that, it's a really beautiful film and um, it's like uh, it handles some cool themes and some interesting messages. Um, and it feels really much like unadulterated uh, Del Toro. It doesn't feel like he sort of carved off the edges to make this Oscar bait. I'm, I'm actually surprised that, I bear, let alone winning, that it was even nominated uh, for big awards. But um, I do like that it's resonated with so many people um, with uh, diverse interests. So, yeah, I definitely recommend that. You've seen it, seen it, Greg? Still not seen it yet, and I'm glad you're not going into detail about it because I've still yeah. not seen it yet. <laughs> no, I'd recommend it. Um, it's uh, got cool monster design and just... The world it weaves is quite interesting, but it doesn't shy away from uh, the truths. Like it, it's set during the '60s, but it doesn't uh, try to paint this nostalgic picture like just of the '60s without really touching on sort of the negatives of the 1960s in in the US at the time. But yeah, it's uh, it's a, it's a cool movie. I, I quite dug, uh, I really dug it. Um, as well as that, I watched. Uh, Annihilation, which is the uh, latest film by Alex Garland, who... Oh, that's that really cool net looking Netflix one. Yeah, it's on Netflix over here. Um, it was in theatres in the US, and it's um, he's the guy who did, wrote and directed Ex Machina, which was my favourite film from that year. Um, and this this movie is, is wild. It is wild, like... Um, uh, it's based on a book, but I, if you've not read the book, I would go into the movie blind and not watch any trailers or anything. Uh, not even the ones that Netflix tried to force on you with some stuff. Um, but yeah, I would just, I would just, I would just dive in because it is a wild movie. Um, just some of the ideas and the visuals and some of the themes that it uh, approaches and delves into are. Uh, so resonant and um they work so well um the movie's quite uh, quite beautiful um and the the cast are amazing uh natalie portman jennifer jason lee gina rodriguez tessa thompson oscar isaac they all uh knock it out of the park like they normally do so um yeah i would definitely give that a go uh set some time aside put your phone down and give annihilation a watch i i've already had the netflix trailer forced on me so it's too late i've seen it <laughs> uh, side note natalie portman the actress that when i see her face i never remember her name really it's like, uh, yeah i know who she is but there's like some kind of mental block on her name in my head she's been around your whole life man i know that's the problem <laughs> like i've seen so many films with natalie portman in but every time i see natalie portman in something i'm like oh that's and like my mind just goes completely blank i'm like i have no memory for for putting a name to her face Maybe it's similar to the spiral tech that Grayson used to use when he was an agent of spiral in I think, Batman uh, comics, but I don't know. I think she lives in your blind spot. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly, there's yeah. A, there, there's a reason that uh, you have face blindness with uh, Natalie Portman. There's, there's yeah. some some deeper uh, deeper meaning there. Um, I, I, and yeah, in addition to catching up on some movies, I will just touch on two games that I finally got around to this weekend um the first was the game inside which is the 2016 sort of puzzle platformer from um 
Play Dead, who uh, are famous for Limbo, uh, and yeah, like it, it was a lot of it was a lot on a lot of Game of the Year lists. I remember that year, and I, I remember having to avoid uh, podcasts and stuff because they wanted to get into. I mean, it's not a story heavy game, but they wanted to get into like, oh, you got to hear about the ending, da 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 da. And I was like, okay, let me dodge all this. Um, but yeah, like finally getting around to it, it's really good game. The puzzles are really cool and inventive. Um, it definitely builds on what Limbo um, was, where Limbo was like a monochrome uh, sort of two point five D, like like puzzle platformer in the same in the same vein and this uh is a bit more 3d um and has the color and like has a bit more story as well and goes to some quite interesting places um i I think you would dig it especially stuff that happens towards uh, the end i think you you would dig it greg Mm. um and i i played that on steam but i believe this is on ps4 Xbox One, and I think it's coming to Switch at some point. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely recommend that game. I mean, there's not much more to add to this. I mean, everyone has said their piece about how good it is, and, and they're correct. It's really, really good. Um, and then finally, I caught up in a game uh, called The Sexy Brutal. That is a game by uh, Kefalia Game Studios and Tequila Works. And this is uh, an adventure puzzle game, but the twist on this is that you're in a mansion where people, everyone's wears, wears masks for some reason. And these masks have different abilities, but people are, are being bumped off uh, in between 12 midday and 12 midnight that evening. Uh, so your job uh, is to solve the mysteries and find how to save each of these people to sort of break this weird curse of this mansion. And, it's really, really cool. Um, the thing that sort of drew me towards it um, is I think I saw it on display at uh, EGX Rest the uh, the year it came out, or the year before it came out, so that would have been 2016. Uh, but I never got around to transplay, but the name stuck in my head. So when I saw it on uh, Steam, I, I bought it fairly near release, but um, it came out in April last year, but I only just got around to playing it now. Um, but yeah, it's really cool because what it reminds me of a lot is Majora's Mask, uh, Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask, where uh, people remember the loop in that game is that you have three days before the moon crashes into the planet. Um, so you've got to collect masks in a similar way um, by doing a, a, a variety of sort of uh, side side missions for a bunch of different characters. And then on the third day, you can go up to the moon and, and fight uh, Skull Kid. Um, and then you can sort of go back in time by playing like the Song of Time, or you can speed up time by playing the Song of Time or Double Speed or whatever. But like it, it's a very similar mechanic to that, but over a much more um, condensed period and condensed space. Um, and yeah, it's right at my alley. It's, it's an idea that I've, I've always found quite intriguing and why Majora's Mask is one of my favourite Zelda games. Um, and I think this does a really cool thing with that mechanic and it has a really cool, um, delightful like art style um, and the way how the schedule works. Like It's really cool because you'll be in one 
part of the mansion and you'll hear these different events happening. So at like, say, 2 p.m., you'll hear glass crashing. And you'll be like, I wonder what that is. And you won't find out until like you, you've tried to save a bunch of people to get to that point. So you might, in, in human hours, you might not uh, figure that out for like another three hours or something like that. Like, hmm. what, what the hell was that crashing at 2 o'clock? And then you'll hear like a gunshot at 4 and you'll feel like, oh, I wonder what caused that gunshot. And the, the characters are, are all during those 12 hours they're all on their um they're all on the set routine so it's, it's really cool i would um heavily recommend it to everyone it's a really cool um puzzle game yeah it does sound very cool it sounds like something that um ages ago might have had a ds release or a 3ds release yeah i think now i think it, it's on the the main consoles steam and i think it hit the switch in november so yeah, it 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 does feel like something from that era. Yeah, and it it does have a cool sort of look like that, where the characters are, for lack of a better term, sort of chibi style, like big heads and uh, on bodies. Yeah. Um, but it's really it's a really delightful style, and uh, yeah, the, there's a lot of uh, cool direction to that game, and uh, the way it's the way it's designed is really smart, and uh, puzzles you solve later on. You're thinking, oh, and that's how that tied into blah, blah, and blah. So it is really um, cool in that way. And you do feel uh, smart when you, like inside, you feel smart when you uh, solve, a, solve a puzzle or make sense of a riddle. That sounds cool. What about um, you? It, it's been sort of games, but like not video games, just games of a, a, a different way. Because I've kind of got really big like, into Magic the Gathering again. I started playing it again about a year and a half ago because a, a couple of mates of mine were playing it again. And um, I've sort of slowly got back into it and I've got all my old cards back out. Um, and I've started buying new cards and <laughs> I've been deck building and I've been playing against myself with my own decks and things like that. And I'm I'm all hyped for the new card set that gets released sort of later on this month. I think it's sort of around the second to last weekend in April, which is when they're going to do the pre-release stuff. So I think that's on Saturday the 21st. There's some pre-release events happening in places. And uh, there's a whole new card set coming with some new cards and some new rules that all look very cool. And I've just gotten, like, really hooked on the mechanics of the game again. And, like, all the different combinations of rules and cards that you can put together and the way you can make that work. Like, the strategizing and the, the metagame. And then thinking I've done really well at building a deck... And then going and playing against somebody and having that all undone in front of me in a matter of seconds. <laughs> sounds sounds super savage. It is, but it's fun. Um, I've only been to like one Friday Night Magic event and I only stayed there for like an hour or so uh, and played a couple of casual games. But it was cool and I'm thinking of getting into going to the Friday night stuff. So to like start going to tournaments and stuff like that. Um, yeah i mean what's the scene like um where you live so there's a place called tabletop tyrant in leicester which is the sort of the game shop in leicester there's no other kind of like board game slash uh tabletop game shop um anymore so everybody goes there everybody congregates there and they don't just play magic there they play other uh trading card games as well uh people uh, go there for table space to play um, Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, people go there to play uh, things like Warhammer. 
and other tabletop games, war games and stuff like that. And it's just a really cool little shop. And for the brief time I was there, it was quite nice. Uh, the guy I was playing games with was, was a cool guy. Um, he was, you know, it, 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 he was helpful. He was he was like teaching me stuff as we went along because obviously I'm a a bit rusty and b thousands of new keywords and rules since I last started playing since I last played properly. So, you know, I learned. He's like teaching me stuff and reminding me of stuff as we're going along and things like that. And he wasn't like too savage in beating me. It's kind of like I liken it to when I've spent time in the fighting game scene, where yeah. everyone's eager to teach and like people go. You go there to learn. And you go there to have fun and nobody's that toxic about it or anything, you know? I mean, yeah, there's the, there's the, you know, there's the, the sort of like the in jokes and everything else that people have when they're, when they're part of these scenes. And there's like, uh, the, the, you know, like the kind of certain culture around certain cards or whatever, you know, that people have certain, like certain jokes about certain rules or things like that, or people will refer to certain character moves in certain ways when you play fighting games. Yeah, like so, this just general sort and like factionalism. Yeah, but not not quite that. I mean, it, it seems a little bit more laid back than that. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot more sort of jokey, a lot more yeah. sort of uh, sort of joking, punch in the arm, ribbing type thing. Well, no, less less of the trash talk. That I mean, you do get the trash talk, but it's not trash talk in the same way that you'll get with fighting games. I don't think it's as. Um, I don't want to say it's not as energetic or whatever. This is only like the brief time I spent at this night, at this one, this place, like this one night. But it's like um, it's still quite energetic and whatever as a scene. But it's not as uh, it's not as boisterous, I guess, uh, as yeah, the fighting yeah. game scene. I think boisterous is the word I was looking for. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it was really cool, and I'm thinking I'm going back, and I'm thinking of going back at, at you know like when I can make it on a Friday and playing some games of Magic because I like playing Magic. Uh, I've been playing other board games as well um sophie wanted to play some board games with me and uh, we got out a game that i own called epic spell wars of the battle wizards duel at mount skullsfire now the thing that made me initially buy this game was that it reminded me heavily of curse words because there's this whole bit in curse words where they have this kind of competition where they pit the wizards against each other in the whole world in in duels like various like individual duels and uh they fight for Syzygy's amusement basically and to prove themselves worthy of fighting wizard in our world and it just made me think of that when I looked at the rules and, and looked at the way the game works and everything else and I just thought I'm having that so I, I bought this game I actually bought it when I was with you guys last in London and uh it was um the, the way the game works is you build a spell and it's made up of different cards that have different rules and uh, different types of magic. And you build a spell in three parts and then you shout that spell out and you follow what it says on the spell. So one card will say deal two damage, one card will say heal yourself for two damage and things like that. And you just go through like that until someone dies and then uh, you when you're the last wizard standing in a game, if you like, you collect a last wizard standing token. The first person to two last wizard standing tokens is the winner. Uh, it's hard to explain without the game out in front of me and without sort of like physically showing you how to play, but it's really cool and really fun and it's way more simple than it sounds. So so was it uh, relatively uh, 
pain-free uh, yeah. in, in getting uh, Sophie um, up and running. Yeah, it's e- easy to pick up the rules. Um, it didn't take long before Sophie started to understand it, like playing it with her and things like that. As as someone is, if you someone coming in fresh and never played it before, like we taught another friend of mine to play it as well. Mm. Um, so me and Sophie then took the game down to the local pub, um, place called the West End Brewery, um, near to where I live. Um, so um, it, it, we we took it down there and uh, we taught my friend Jake to play as well. And again, it was very easy for us to teach him how to play. And having only played it once, Sophie could teach him the rules. Yeah. So it was pretty simple and pretty easy to pick up kind of thing. Yeah, definitely recommend it. It's a really fun party game. It it does go well with alcohol because obviously the more you drink, the more likely you are to use a stupid wizard voice and shout out these stupid sounding spells. Um, And that's what you generally want with these games. Exactly, yeah. It's, It's great fun. And I think there's expansions and stuff for it as well, which is really cool. So I really got into that. Um, other than that, like media-wise, I've caught up on Riverdale. So I'm like well up to date with Riverdale now. Uh, so am I. <laughs> We're both up to date at the same time. Yes, yes, we are. I, I think uh, maybe at the end of this season, we need to have like a bit of a spoilery section and just discuss it in detail. Yeah, we should do... when this When this one's finished... Uh, I think we should probably maybe even do like a short half an hour cast with us guys just chatting about Riverdale. Yeah, uh, I'd be totally up for that. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I really, I really, really am into Riverdale. I think, I think I, I, I'm enjoying how silly it is sometimes. Yeah, it does luxuriate yeah. in the absurd quite a lot and just like, leans into it in 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 ways that i quite enjoy i think i think that's what i like about it i like how absurd it is at times and i and i think i think it's a you know in other places i think it's a really great show and i would recommend it to anyone so yeah no riverdale definitely onwards from there i guess we better start talking about comics because that's what this podcast is supposed to be for so (laughs) um this week, uh, I've got a couple to get through. It's mainly stuff that I've been keeping up with and catching up on and uh, a couple of things that have ended and things that have just sort of like struck my curiosity and whatever else. So um, I've got, before like I go into sign like the heavy, the heavy, 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 as it were, for comics that I'm going to properly review, um, I just wanted to mention that Doomsday Clock number four is now on the shelves. Um, the standard cover which I have is a delicious pile of pancakes covered in maple syrup. A lot of people don't like it, looking at some of the early reviews I've seen on the internet. And um, I'm not sure if that's because people genuinely don't like it, or if that's a symptom of what we've discussed on this podcast before, where people can't seem to... People are very precious about The Watchmen and about where the Watchmen came from and and about the original Alan Moore stuff. And I think people are still viewing it through the lens of it's not as good as the original when I can see it as something different. I mean, yes, it is a direct sequel, but I'm enjoying it for other reasons. I think think it's a... I, I like what they've done with it. I like that they've 
updated it and you know people people think that they're dumbing down the material and things like that in this in this room but i i myself don't see that at all and yeah i i thought i thought it was very enjoyable when i did read it it kind of goes into a bit of detail about the past of the new rorschach gives us a bit of exposition and explanation about his origin and everything else um and I thought I actually thought that this one was very Watchmen in the way that it pans out and the way that it's written. Uh, so yeah, Doomsday Clock number four, and the saddest thing about that is we're not going to see another thing for a while, another one for a while now because it's gone bi monthly, hasn't it? Why do you think that is? Um, Schedule. It's scheduling stuff, I reckon. Yeah, uh, I haven't looked too much into that, but um, I could probably get you an answer. Uh, Probably by that will give me time yeah. to catch up on it, and then we can discuss be able it properly. To, yeah, yeah. <laughs> be able to see which team I'm on because I can I can foresee a space where it doesn't quite work for people, and it's not directly limited to it not living up to the seminal uh, like uh, series before. So I'm wondering where i will end up landing uh like i've read the first issue and mm. um like i said on the cast i was very much unwilling to see where this goes and see if something interesting and smart is done with it so i am going to use this uh, scheduling opportunity to mm. try and catch up and then we can have a, a conversation about it and see where where I land on the yeah, spectrum, and... definitely, and and by then I, I will hopefully, um, I'll, I'll I'll do a bit of digging and try and find out why it's gone by monthly. I think it's just, I think it's going to be scheduling issues with certain writers and artists, though, that have probably got other projects in the bank as well. So, um, but if you, I mean, I've actually just noticed from staring at the cover in front of me as I'm chatting to you that the the shapes that the maple syrup makes on the pancakes is a raw shack blot test. Of course. <laughs> and, yeah, no, it's a really pretty cover, and if uh, if I wasn't so uh, precious about the comic, maybe I would. You know, I could. What do I mean? If I wasn't so precious about the comic, I could still frame it. Yeah, I'd frame that cover. I like it. I like pancakes. I like Rorschach. It's a very nice, deliciously drawn pile of pancakes. So yeah, get get that get that in a nice frame. Good with that. Yeah. So moving on to other books that seem to be other other books that, that I seem to be on the wrong side of the tracks with, because uh, I've noticed this a lot, actually, that a lot of times I will read something and really enjoy it. And then I will look at other reviews to try and get, sort of gauge what the popular consensus is sometimes before I talk about it. And um, a lot of people dislike the stuff I like. And I I tend to be in the minority with liking something, but it's not like I'm doing it to be a contrarian or anything like that. I genuinely like these things. And uh, this one is... Um, it's it, uh, number one of a new Asagi Yojimbo miniseries. Uh, it's number one of seven. And this is Asagi Yojimbo The Hidden, number one. Now, um, I've seen a Bleeding Cool review for this, and they said that it's... Um, they said that it suffered from problems with tone uh, relating to the way that Stan Sakai depicts death in the book. They're, they're saying that they, they got a bit of tonal whiplash with it because um, it's quite a nice historical 
story that's that's kind of like it's got it's got quite it's got a bit of historical accuracy around it and things like that in the way the story's written and there's a bit of historical context and everything else and it's quite nice that way but then because it's cartoonish in its depiction of death and um some of the way that the way that the violence can be slightly slapstick at times um it feels like you're getting tonal whiplash from it but i i don't see it that way um i actually really enjoyed it and i i i think that this review maybe has has looked for issues where the, or has found issues where i well i don't i don't think there are issues where this review has found issues um because i maybe maybe it's this is just me maybe it's because i watch a lot of um saturday morning-ish cartoon stuff like uh, you know teenage mutant ninja turtles or um like other older sat am stuff where they will deal with something quite lofty but it's still a cartoon so in a way it's still put in a way children can understand it and enjoy it you know if that yeah. makes sense so maybe maybe i'm just used to that and other people aren't or but, if more of it's case where you're more open to it yeah maybe maybe um but yeah i mean it's 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 typical of stan sakai's work in that it is he's a cartoonist it's what he does so when i read something like this i go into it expecting abstraction and expecting him to do things like that um and i i really enjoyed it i, I really enjoy his saggy books so i mean maybe i'm not totally unbiased when i'm saying that but yeah um i mean the the other issue that they picked with it was that it, it maybe it could do with some more shading but i think that's an unfair observation because stan sakai has worked with lines since the beginning like i don't think you can pick fault with artwork that um when when an artist has done the same thing for years and years and years and no one has ever no one has ever has ever found issue with the way that artist has done things and it's not a how do i put this into words do you think it's a case of it's like his style and it, it's his newer, style newer or younger uh reviewers um having a, a, a sort of first time interaction with his work and it, it, it could this be, is but... like a new hot take or do you yeah. think it's a, a thing where people are suddenly realizing or verbalizing things that they've always felt was true about it um it could be part of the latter and maybe even a little bit of the former there i don't know but for me i i i think that obviously i i i like stan sakai style i like his very simple clean lines and his simple cartoony characters and the way that he the way that he does things and the way that he shows things and the way that he's telling this story and putting it in a way that i think that's what cartoons do they boil things down or or they they are they are very very good for boiling things down into easily understandable easily digestible what what can i call it (laughs) well i guess Uh, more like packaging them to be uh yeah more uh readily consumed yeah, I think that's I think that's what I was going for. I'm losing my words now, but yeah, um, that's and that's what Stan Sakai does, and that's what he's been very good at, I think, in other stories. And I think that's what a lot of other cartoonists do. I mean, I see in this book, in the way that it's taking something so 
um well the, like the, like the the introduction of christianity or the early introduction of christianity to japan and explaining that and explaining the way that worked with with and, and the way that worked with japanese culture and everything else and the and the way that the the way that people talk to it and things like that i think it's taken that and explained it in in like i said they've repackaged it in a way that's easy to understand and, and boiled it down to something simple that people can can read and digest um and i look at this and i look at some of the recent work that Serge, sergio aragones has done in other books that i've talked about on this cast uh the guru um play of the gods books um and i see a similarity in tone in the way that the, the guru stuff worked as well because in the guru books they were dealing with um the conquistadors going over to south america and imposing christianity on uh the native americans and the people that lived in south america the, the aztecs and the incas and, and whoever else were around at the time when the conquistadors landed for me that's that's where the similarity is and I, I think that's what cartoons are good at. And I like it when cartoons do that. And I think cartoons should continue to do that because as I mean, and, and with the way this is done as well, with the way that the that death is portrayed and everything like that, it's, it's kid friendly. So you can give this to a kid and it almost, almost a teaching aid because you can show them something like this and then you can go into the nitty gritty afterwards. And they've had a nice sort of easy introduction into it, if you understand. And then, then when they ask questions or if they want to read further, they ha they have the option to do that. And they've had a nice little sort of introduction into it that's interesting to them, and that's why I like books like this. So yeah, I, I, I don't think I don't think there are problems where they have said there are problems. Um, so yeah, it's it's got great art, great line work, um, lovely panel layouts, and charming character design as usual, which is typical of Sansakai because he draws these anthropomorphic samurai uh, samurai animals and things, and they're just really cool to look at. And I love his work. And I don't think the lack of shading is ever being an issue. It's his, it's his style, and he's a cartoonist. So this is this is what I expect. And I don't I don't think I don't think it does have tonal issues. And I, I certainly don't get tonal whiplash reading it. I think it, I think it's still a great adventure book, and I love it. Onwards from there, I think Leon. I think you had something to talk about. Yeah, um, I decided to. I went to check out some new number ones. Um, silly, because I've got so many. Uh, Fours, fives, and sixes to catch up on, but I went to check out some number ones and see uh, what what was out at the moment. Um, so I avoided some of the big publishers, and uh, I found uh, two comics I really like. The first one uh, was Breathless Number One, and this is from uh, publisher Black Mask, uh, written by Pat Shand. Um, Art done by Renzo Rodriguez, uh, colours done by Mara Jane Carpenter, um, and they have a production artist uh, in Phil Smith. Um, and pretty much, I mean, the book is pitched as Buffy if the big bad was the pharmaceutical industry. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, you you get a lot of you get that uh, to a degree. That is very much an elevator pitch st style of it. Because it's not as reductive as that, but yeah, basically that that is sort of the core of it. Um, it's about a uh, lead character, uh, Scout Turner, who's pretty much a cryptozoologist with uh, asthma, who dissects monsters for some shady pharma company. Um, and an accident happens in the lab, uh, 
which uh, leads to her asthma being potentially cured, which leads to her annoying assistant, uh, who's like has four names, but she her like main uh, hyphen name is uh, Grace Isley, and she's an incessant uh, chatterbox. Um, but yeah, it leads to her tweeting about uh, the incident and it being a possible cure. Uh, and that leads to consequences, which play out uh, later on in the comic. Um, and yeah, like I sort of didn't know what to expect going in this, but um, I thought the character design of Scout Turner was really cool. Um, she's an African American uh, woman with like uh, like shaved hair, uh, shaved side of the head, and like hair on top, sort of. Uh, like sort of combed over in a pretty cool way and she seems quite she's not a 2D uh no nonsense badass type thing she the the comic starts with her going to a pharmacist and picking up her uh prescription for uh like asthma meds and uh the pharmacist is like oh are you sure do you know how much this costs and she's like yeah course i'm sure while they always ask me this and uh, obviously it's quite expensive and so there's definitely a commentary here on like uh like sort of healthcare and the pharmaceutical industry and how um how it's pushed for profit over uh, for healthcare um but it it doesn't really come off as really preachy it just ends up being like an element of these uh, this character's lives so far um but yeah, she, she's quite quite rounded in a way because she isn't just stoic. She has other stuff going on. She takes care of her aunt, who it, it seems is someone who um, uh, raised her. So um, unsure what happened with her parents so far. Um, and yeah, she uh, she's quite unfazed by working on like these crazy like beasts. <laughs> That uh, they have an acquisition in team, who are like these soldier types who go out and like kill these monsters and bring them in, and so that her, her and her assistant can slice them up and see what's going on under the hood. But yeah, it, it, it paints like you, we don't know so much about the world so far because of what it seems like is people outside don't really know uh, about all these monsters and this company, whoever they are. Um, they're doing all this stuff like covert. Um, it does give me a very sort of Buffy season four vibe where there's this, um, I can't remember, the initiative, I think they're called, and they're this like government agency in, in Sunnydale um, who basically go out hunting like the monsters and vampires in, in, in Sunnydale, uh, like uh, in the cloak of cloak of the dark, um, so but yeah, it, it, it's it's quite cool. Um, I'm quite liking this first issue. The um, the art has a nice, uh, cool look to it. I really like how the characters are designed, um, and yeah, like there, there's there's lots of uh, sort of setup where these characters could be sort of one note. So as I was saying with uh, Scout, she could just come up as one note, but she actually, like, cares about her annoying assistant and is a bit more rounded, and, like, her annoying assistant, uh, Grace Isley, uh, she's, like, uh, annoying chatterbox, but she's good at her job, 
apart from when she's tweeting, she's she's good at her job and she's indispensable to um, to Scout. So I do love um, that they've mixed it up a bit and like they've done cool things uh, in terms of just just how sort of normal a lot of the uh, things which are non-standard um, mm. are presented. So, like yeah. Grace Isley, for instance, is she, uh, she comes in late um, to that vivisection, and she's like talking about how she was hanging out with the acquisitions team, and there was this uh, really hot lead commander. I think her name was Claire, mm. and she was like, she just kept going on about it. It's like, oh, it's Claire. She was amazing. She was amazing, and then uh, so like uh, Scout. Um, while doing her like normal business, um, sees her in the hallway and asks uh, asks outright um, that Claire, Claire if she can get a number for her assistant. So there's some, there's a cool sort of friendship uh, interpersonal thing going on here, as well as all this like crazy supernatural stuff. So I'm quite liking what it's doing, and I'm looking forward to um, checking more of it out and. Yeah, like um, number one of a bullet. Uh, I n- noticed, like on the initial pages, they everyone just puts on their Twitter handle and Twitter's in this, and it definitely feels like um, it's engaging with sort of our connections and reliance with, with uh, these services, um, which can cause like uh, big damage because. Uh, Grace Isley says she only has 22 followers and nobody liked it. But once a a tweet is out in the wild or Facebook sees that out in the wild, uh, it's out there and and can be grabbed even if it has been deleted. So it is interesting how they're uh, tying in a lot of these things together. But yeah, uh, Greg, I definitely would recommend you give issue one a read. I'll have to give that Uh, a look. That that does sound pretty cool, yeah. Yeah, it's it's doing, doing some like some cool things and I, um, I'm interested in seeing where it goes because the setup isn't dystopian Yeah, um, it's like it's just life is going on as normal for everyone else um, and it's these people behind uh, the veil who are investigating things um, mm. under the cloak of darkness so yeah I'll check it out and you've got like a lot of sort of even though they mean the lead character is a cryptozoologist you have sort of a detective angle where there's like uh, she has like uh, a monster, not a monster. Yeah, I guess it's a monster. I think it's a suck. Uh, the lady is a succubus, and she like pumps her for information and brings her like uh, like cow meat and stuff, uh, and tells her to stop feasting on runaway pets and stuff. So oh. yeah, there's definitely um, a cool cool vibe there. Um, but yeah, I, I would check it out. Um, can't really go into too much more about going into the plot, which is barely started, to be honest. But yeah, it's a good book. It's a good book, and I really really liked issue one. Um, Yeah, I will definitely have to give that a look. It's got a bit of that social media stuff in that sets me on edge as well, so (laughs) (laughs) definitely worth me going to look. Speaking of things that set you on edge, uh, my next one is Harrow County. Now, the reason I'm talking about this again now is because it's coming to a close it's going to end soon. Um and it's so so good. And it's one of those it's one of those things where it's like this comic series where well, you know when you start reading them and you carry on reading them and you follow them and you follow them and you follow them 
and you, you get a little bit sad when you learn they're going to end. And I'm I'm only like halfway through this. I I'm I'm behind. I've been reading trades desperately trying to catch up um, because I was late to the game. I, I didn't start reading Harrow County until last year when we did our Halloween cast. Uh, when I did the first trade for review. Mm. And it's just so, so good. And I'm a little bit sad knowing that it's going to end, knowing that it's going to be finite, you know? Like saying um, goodbye to a friend. Yeah, it just, it kind of it kind of hits you that, that comic runs and comic stories, some, you know, they are finite sometimes. And as much as you don't want them to end, I mean, I've talked, I've talked in previous casts about sometimes it's good when things end, but it doesn't mean you always want it, you know? <laughs> Uh, so yeah. yeah, I'm, uh, I've just finished, uh, the third trade, which is called snake doctor. And I am halfway through the fourth trade, which I believe is called family tree. Yes. So it's like, you know, building on what I said or just repeating almost what I said last year. It's a great story with great fantastic horror elements so i love the way that the horror is worked into this and um i have a feeling that a lot of it is um a lot of the horror they use in this is to do with uh folk tales and sort of like um legends and campfire stories that you would hear in the in the south in the u.s and what I'm, what I've, because I've also been playing, uh, where the water tastes like wine, which I talked about on a previous cast. Uh, I've been trying to sort of marry the two, like looking for horror stories in that that match things I've read in Harrow County, kind of thing. I'm not not come really come across anything yet, but um, like the 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 way the, you know, like the the way they use Southern dialect in these books and the way that's written, uh, I think is great, and I think I think uh, Cullen Bunn's done a really great job of that. Um, I also really enjoy the way that um, the the way they use like some some of the like some of that like they call like like haints ghosts as haints and things like that and it's just it's just great. Um, it's I, I love the art and and the, the especially like when I've been reading through it and I've been reading these trades is you get these like title splashes um, where it's like a, like a double page spread and it's just like a landscape a scene um maybe a train coming across some tracks and you can see open fields and it's like some gorgeous like uh, sunset going on in the sky and you have the words harrow county written in the stars and they managed to work the title into the splash so naturally uh i mean there's one where it's part it, the title is is in the way that the puddles form in the ground because it's raining outside and you've got puddles forming in a mud track uh, and there's one where it says Harrow County in a bunch of knotted corn, like woven into the corn in a cornfield. And I, I just think it's really cool how they do that. As I say, I've, been, I've continued reading it in a bid to catch up and, and it, it remains in equal parts disturbing and endearing, which is something else I really like about this book. And yeah, I any fan of horror or whatever, I recommend and, and, and tell you to pick it up and, and get on it before it's too late because... It's coming to an end, and I don't want to spoil it, but it's a really, really great story. Really great story. And when I'm finished it, when I finally finished it, and I've got all the trades, it's going on my shelf next to Lock and Key. 
as one of those one of those one of those stories that I can come back to any time because I do love it that much. And that nice. is that is by uh, Cullen Bunn, uh, Tyler Crook. Yeah, I, I remember I've read, I believe I read the first issue back at Halloween and I, uh, uh, now it's done. I think I'll uh, go back and read it up. Uh, yeah, no, see if I uh, get, get uh, pulled into the world as effectively as you have. Carry on with it because it's some really great gothic horror. Some really good southern gothic horror in this book. Um, and as I say, in, in, it's done in such a way that as horrifying as it is, it's also a very endearing story. Um, so it, in places, it's it's almost sweet when you're reading it. And I think I think it, to have those two flavors in one dish, I think is is a great thing, a really great thing. And another thing that has recently come to an end, <laughs> everything's ending. Why? That's what springs about, isn't it? Uh, like new death, right? Yeah. It's like. A couple, of, a lot of things on my pool list are coming to an end. Uh, and Dark Knight's Metal has recently, finally come to an end. Uh, we've had six issues of Dark Knight's Metal, and that's not counting all the various tie-ins and everything else. Uh, and when they do a trade, um, I'm assuming there will be an edition that pulls the whole lot together. So if you want all the one-shots, if you want all of the Justice League tie-ins and things like that, it's all going to be there. Um, so those of you who remember... Uh, when I've talked about Dark Dark Knight's Metal before, it's the story of the Dark Multiverse encroaching on the standard DC multiverse, and the the attempts of the sort of the dark malevolent force Barbatos to pull the multiverse into the depths, into the darkness, and destroy it. And you've got uh, obviously the um, these nightmarish reflections of Batman from various part, uh, various ends of the Dark Multiverse have come together to aid Barbatos in this plot, um, and they were all promised their own their own worlds. They were promised sort of new life, f- uh, you know, out of their nightmare worlds. Because where where they are at the moment, it's like a torturous reflection of what happens in the real multiverse. And it's all come to a head in this one big final blowout. And it's just been a really, really cool event. Uh, The list of names for this event is huge. Like, so many people have worked on it. And with the... You're you're quite right, actually, because with endings comes new beginnings. So with the ending of Dark Knight's Metal, uh, what we have is we have uh, the beginning of... um, a new sort of era for uh, DC Comics. Uh, we've got... It, it, it sort of ushers in um, the new age of heroes, which is like a... Um, there's a list of new heroes that have come off the back of this event and out of things that have happened... Because of things that have happened in this event, things that have been set in motion, we have new heroes from new new parts that are of the multiverse or whatever that have been revealed as part of this event and things like that, which is kind of cool. Um, and what we've also got at the end of this book is the extension of the universe into or the DC multiverse, as it were, into other, other space beyond the DC multiverse. We have these kind of like um, 
kind of like Marvel's, kind of like Marvel's Celestials, really, but like the DC versions, um, sort of they're 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 sort of coming up and uh, they're kind of on the periphery. So I mean, with the end of D- DC Metal comes new new life, but also new threats, and uh, it's going to be from there onwards. It opens up the way for the next big DC event in a very DC way. And uh, it looks like we're gonna get gonna get. I think the next event is gonna be Justice League No Justice. I think that's the next thing to come, and that's what it sort of opens the way for. Uh, there's callbacks to previous events in here, like it, it plays a lot off. You know the uh, the Multiversity book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, having read Multiversity, there's a lot in Multiversity that then comes back up in this. There's also callbacks in book six to the beginning of the event, which I really enjoyed in the way they brought that back up. And it, it's just a very, very comic book, comic book. Like, I know you guys talk about comiciness in things and this whole kind of like uh, complicated multiverse stuff and different versions of different characters doing different yeah. things. And, the yeah. weeds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's that. It's that it's that to, on 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 that level, and that's why sometimes when I'm thinking about how to explain it, I'm thinking Ray and Leon must be tearing their hair out listening to me talk about this. But it's it is that kind of it's that kind of comic, uh, very traditional, very very superhero comic, very very DC, very comic book, and I love it for that. And I think what comes after it is going to be great as well. Yeah, I think that stuff can be quite rewarding if you've been someone who's relatively kept up with with stuff like that. So um, it's like a bad analogy. Is it like a revival show that comes back? So say stuff like the Gilmore Girls or like uh, even Dragon Ball uh, Super. Um, And it's super rewarding to people who watch all those episodes as they came out or even caught up on them in years between. Mm. But when you're someone who has not been and has only uh, dabbled in things to do with those things here and there, like a one shot or a trade uh, or something like that, uh, it's mind boggling. And it always baffles me how fresh newbies will walk into a comic shop and just start a number one on this thing, knowing that it has all this history. They're like, they're so brave, like so much more braver than me. I can't do that. I can't do that. I I I need to find out what led into this thing, and that leads me of, back yeah. to what led into this thing and this thing and this thing. And then by that yeah. time, I, I've I've already looked, started looking at an image book. Well, that's that's how I <laughs> that's how I I, I kind of got into it because obviously every like I'm I'm thirty, and when I was reading comics as a kid, everything already had bags and bags and bags of baggage in history. Hmm. By the time I had picked up my first comic, things that had happened, you'd already had Crisis on Infinite Earths. You'd already had um, the Infinity stuff in the Marvel Universe. But it's like it's like lore. You know, like when you play a video game and you you play a video game that just shows you kind of one facet, if you like of a wider tale and then you will go and find all the surrounding lore for it video games that are like this i'm guessing 
uh, well, I'm I'm talking, sorry, more about like uh, MMOs and things like that. If you've ever played an MMO, I mean, I I've I don't get on with MMOs myself, but I, I hear no. it's like that. A lot of people that I know that are into MMOs, they will start playing an MMO and then they will go back and find all the lore surrounding said story in the MMO to 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 know why things are how they are in the game. Um. And that and, and that's kind of what I liken it to. So walking in and buying a number one or buying a random comic to get started, it gives you a springboard into a wider world because then you start to you want to understand what you've just read, and then you'll go back and read stuff, which is kind of what I did. Like I would I would then go looking for stuff on the internet, or I would like um, I would ask you know like other people that I knew that liked comics. I would ask them why is this like this, you know. And I would get explanations, yeah, things yeah. like that. So it's it's kind of that that kind of thing. And, and I'm like, I mean, I, I will I will admit this this the DC the, the this DC multiverse stuff is it's very comic book. And even I have a hard time explaining it to you guys on the cast <laughs> because you know I'm not very. Sometimes I I will admit that I'm not great at explaining things because I'm not great at words. But yeah. Um, I would recommend reading the DC Metal event. Uh, maybe maybe read Multiversity and then read DC Metal. Yeah, that's might have more of a, Might have more of a grounding for some of the, some of the things they reference in it anyway, and the way it works. But yeah, it's it's a great event, and uh, the the well, like in a sea of names, the main names that are kind of like the the big. The, the the big names that worked on on these books uh you would have Scott Snyder Greg Pol- Greg Capullo uh FCO Placentia and uh Jonathan Glapian they are your like main names for these for the event but obviously it is such a huge list we're talking like the list the list of names that worked on this event it's a monolith so but yeah, it's great, and uh, it's when it's collected, pick it up because I'm sure there'll be a very nice hardback edition that includes everything. So yeah, it's worth it's one worth one worth going back to and one worth reading. That's DC Metal. Uh, one of the better big comic events, I think, actually, of the previous years. Um, so Leon, back to you. Yeah, um, as I was saying earlier, I went off slightly off the beaten track, uh, away from some of these uh, bigger publishers that we're often speaking about to try and seek out um, some new comics. And I came across uh, Infinity 8, which is published by The Lion Forge um, and was written by Lewis Trondheim and uh, the writer Zepp. Uh, and the art was done by Dominique uh, Bertel, um, which I know that I'm butchering all these names. Uh, and the design direction was by uh, Olivier Vertin. Uh, it was originally published in France in back in 2016 as, uh, I'm going to kill this, uh, <laughs> Romance uh, uh, Maccabees. So take that for for what you understood it to be but yeah the story is basically um about an agent uh named uh yoko uh karen who works aboard the infinity eight which is this uh massive interstellar vessel 
that is carrying 880,000 passengers um, uh, in a sort of, say, Star Trek-y on a larger scale or like Battlestar Galactica, but without the chase. Or more so like in a sort of Megazone 2-3, if you're aware of them, that anime. Um, but yeah, they're aboard this massive Sadar uh, ship um, and they come across um, a previously unforeseen uh, spatial obstacle that blocks their route. Um, so the captain uh, tasks her with the mission to investigate what this star system sized obstacle is, which is kind of harsh for one agent. But uh, yeah, uh, so she goes to investigate that. Um, yeah, and it's it's pretty pretty cool. I, I quite like this book. It was a, quite a, a good find. Um, so yeah, what like it 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 does a couple of things uh, quite well. Um, the design of all the different alien species because there's so many different uh, ones on board. It isn't just sort of Star Trek-y where they sort of cop out and most of them are uh, humanoid shaped. Um, you get a lot of different sized uh, differently designed um, uh, alien species aboard this ship and um, Yoko uh, she's sort of painted as like this badass sort of uh agent who in in the in the in the opening like beats the crap out of these like other species ones like a kind of bull bull designed um uh, alien uh, and she like handles them super easily um and yeah she's just an all round badass she her her outfit and i think this is the outfit of all the agents aboard the ship uh, it's like this cool sort of uh, like Thunderbirdsy like little sailor caps and like all blue but uh, in typical sort of I mean this is a, a French book um, and it has a lot of uh, influence from French sci-fi comics and French sci-fi media um, and it has very much uh, like it shares the same influences and it's possibly influenced by uh, things like uh, Luc Besson's uh, Fifth Element and uh, his recent Valerian and a Thousand Planets movie, which was based on the uh, Valerian comic. And yeah, it has this this very 60s French sci-fi feel. So like, typically all the women are super sexy and the, the clothes are like... Uh, like uh, skin tight and yeah on the female costumes they're all bearing midriff for some reason but that's just how it is on this sexy ship uh, and yeah the comic starts out with her she's got leave coming up soon so she's talking about uh, how she'd be interested in starting a family um, but she's been she basically hacked into well not really hacked in but she, she's sort of abusing her power as an agent to have access to uh, the ship's logs so she's just constantly she's in the sitting in a bar talking to the barman who's like uh sort of an alien not really a slug but he's like a massive uh uh non-humanoid creature um and she's just like aiming this zapper at people clicking it and their their stats are coming up showing like what disease is and what 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 their medical history is like and she's just like there's 80 
88,000 of us on there. Uh, only like, I think, 8,000 are human and, and only half of those are male. Uh, and so, so she's like pretty stuck for chances. But it's a funny trip that they keep playing on because she just saps every male, no matter, no matter the species, and comes up with different things. Like, oh, alcoholic. Oh, that's clinical depression. Oh, uh, has this issue, blah, blah, blah. And she's just going through doing that while... Uh, engaging uh, in her sort of daily uh, activities. But yeah, she gets called up by the captain who is really cool designed. So the captain sort of lives in this outside of this bubble chamber and is connected to by tentacles is connected to like the higher ups on the bridge and sort of speaks via like psychic um, communication. And yeah, she basically flies off um, towards the rubble or the debris and starts to find some weird stuff there and a lot of death and uh, a lot of just weird weird things out there and at the same time one of the uh, races um, are aboard the ship they all start mm-hmm. to go like crazy um, once they're they once the whole ship's come into contact with this um, debris um, and they've gone nuts. So they all like run towards the airlocks and uh, to try and get close to all this stuff for, for reasons that I explained in the comic. But um, one of the cool things in, uh, on the cool concepts in this book is um, when uh, Yoko Karen gets called over, it's she's called into protocol eight, uh, which the Lieutenant uh, deputy captain, and he explains like, so the Tonsha, which is the name of the captain's race, they can open up parallel timelines for eight-hour stretches uh, where they can either rewind back after that time or continue down the new permanent timeline. Um, and they can do this up to eight times in a row. So this is ways they can do investigation without like, literally wasting time, as it's put in the comic. So I, I'm assuming that plays a big part in this story as well, um, but yeah, so far we're not that deep. But uh, it's quite a cool book. It, like it, it, it does has has a few of the sort of tropes that you'd expect of the sort of the these, uh, sort of French sci-fi things where where you have a sexy lead character, uh, and so I mean she's quite male gazed in the book, but so far it hasn't really hit a point where it seems particularly in bad taste but uh, i guess readers were but your your um your mileage will vary because Mm. in she has quite a lot of authority and dominance and um she's not really Mm. like she holds a lot of the power in pretty much all of these conversations she's had despite the fact that I think I count like three, maybe or maybe four dudes tried to hit on her <laughs> uh, during the course of these thirty pages. But um, yeah, no, I, I think it, I think it's quite quite cool so far, uh, and it's another one that um, I'm annoyed that I've uh, sort of picked up now because there's only one issue. Well, <laughs> I could learn French, I guess, but yeah, there's yeah. only one issue translated so far, I believe. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I really like this book and. Yeah, it's it's got a cool art style. Um, the con the concepts seem quite fleshed out. The character designs uh, are, are very um, imaginative and uh, not sort of the standard that you see 
Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see where it goes next. Um, uh, and I would recommend uh, everyone check out issue one at least. Because um, I think if like I have like an intellectual intellectual knowledge, but not so much a an actual it, actual experience in reading a lot of these sort of French books. So um, I know what I, there's a few that I've read, and there's a few that I've in, uh, interacted with. Um, but I, I I've not like read like Valerian or anything like that. But um, it's definitely sort of made me think about sort of checking out some of these um, books from the past, especially as we're getting uh, getting more and more books, uh, sorry, films and TV based on these things. Um, and th- this book is is kind of a nice gateway drug to that. But um, yeah, I'm quite quite liking what I see here. And uh, it's not to be confused with uh, the uh, Infinite Loop, which I've spoken about here uh, previously, um, which is also uh, a sci-fi book to do with time travel involving uh, an author and uh, an illustrator with French names <laughs> with the word infinite in it. But, say, um... <laughs> isn't that one a French book as well? Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, there's, there's something magical about the French and, and, and infinity. That, that, that's what it is. They're, they're ahead of us. They've, <laughs> they've, they've travelled into the future eight times um, and they've got a better idea on it than we have. And that's why all of our stuff is is boring brown dystopias and all their stuff is colorful sexy time travel so <laughs> maybe maybe there's a few things we could learn from them but um yeah that, uh infinity eight check it out boring brown dystopias indeed um yeah i'll, I'll have to give that a look because that sounds pretty cool definitely and uh i've i always mean to read more french books because the french have a, a sort of a, a great a great library of of comics that are by french artists and french authors and things that mm-hmm. sometimes get overlooked or missed because they don't see a wider release but they do get translated occasionally and they are really good when you do pick them up and it is something that i wish i i, I wish i read more french comic books and maybe we should do an episode uh, yeah, about french comics specifically yeah because <laughs> i've i've read like a hand a handful of um french and uh european books um that we've mentioned and uh, considered talking about on the podcast um, and hopefully we'll do at some point in the future. But yeah. like my knowledge uh, is so, um, it's, it's, it's so minuscule compared Mine. to what I know is out there. It's like a real mm. uh, blank spot for me. Cause when it came to form for international comics, obviously that was uh, for me, it was a manga for the most part. Mm. Um, so I only really have a, a passing um, uh, experience with these things, but yeah, there's a there's a lot of cool stuff from what I've seen. I'm I'm the same. I'm aware of it, but I just wish that I had more of a grounding and more of a knowledge of it, and I guess more saturation where that stuff's concerned. Because I would like to have read more of it, and I guess it's just because it hasn't been there right in front of me. And um, maybe you could say I've been a little lazy sometimes, but obviously you know i should really go out and pick it up and read more of it because i'm aware i'm very aware that french comics have that it's it's its own thing they have their own 
kind of tradition and everything else in publishing comics and graphic novels uh in france it's not like it's like its own separate thing they they publish their own comics and graphic novels it'd be it'd be great to sort of read some french stuff when it does get translated um yeah definitely something to look into moving on from there i am at the end of my list now uh and my list finishes with me talking briefly about the recent thanos comics uh that donny cates has worked on because they are so 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 very cool um so we're in the middle of an arc called thanos wins where thanos wins uh, spoilers yeah <laughs> spoilers thanos wins um he's like the last thing left alive in the entire universe and it's kind of poetic in a way uh the way they do it and i love some of the like the the, the it's like basically it co- all comes down to a final standoff like thanos of our time gets take brought to the future by future thanos who is has been alive for millennia and he's killed pretty much everything in the universe apart from the silver surfer the Incredible Hulk, and Ghost Rider. <laughs> now, Ghost Rider is not the Ghost Rider you know, because by this point, Ghost Rider is Frank Castle. So Frank Castle has become Ghost Rider. And he's not just Frank Castle Ghost Rider. He's Frank Castle Ghost Rider that has been imbued with the power cosmic because one time he worked for Galactus as a herald. And he's now working for Thanos and he's gone a bit crazy because he's been alive for millennia as well. Um, and it's just brilliant the way that the way they play it all out. The Silver Surfer is like, um, he's got like this new look where it's like he's made of hematite, like black shiny Silver Surfer um, and uh, like metallic black Silver Surfer with a, he's wielding Thor's hammer now, like he made himself worthy so that he could use Thor's hammer to fight Thanos. Um, Frank Castle's working for Thanos. Uh, Thanos just sits on a throne surrounded by the dead bodies of everything. He's got Galactus's skull like somewhere in his, in his, his like crazy monolithic palace of death or whatever. And I just, I just think it's brilliant. I just love where it goes with stuff and I love how original it is and some of the original things it does with the characters and some of the character designs as well. Like, it asks the question, what if Thanos won? And it answers it, of course, as we all know, knowing Thanos, knowing what he does and knowing who he worships and his one true love, we know that if Thanos wins, everything else dies. And he's the last thing left alive in the universe and he's cool with that, you know? Um... And it's got some great twists and there's some great writing and execution. It's very original. There's, some, there's a lot of cool art in there. It's fun. Um, and I, if you want a, a primer in what Thanos is about and who Thanos is pre-Infinity Wars movie, uh, it, I mean, if you're looking for some sort of primer, then this, this, this recent Thanos run, um, we're on number 17 now. That's the most recent one that's been published, uh, Thanos uh issue 17 but yeah this this sort of like recent thanos run which is i think if you're looking for just the thanos wins arc which kind of gives you it's it's kind of like an exploration of his character and it kind of gives you a primer on what he is and what he would do and um you know like 
what this guy is about, which spoiler, Thanos is about death. Uh, but you, um, it, it's a, it's kind of a great primer for that and a great way to sort of a great snapshot into who Thanos is through seeing what would happen if Thanos won. Uh, and that is, um, I think it runs, it, it's running up to issue 18 and it starts at issue 13. So issues 13 to 18 and also includes Thanos Annual 2018, number one. Um, and I think there's going to be a collected edition available later on this year in June, if you're interested in picking it up. But if you mm. want to read it before then, then you want issues 13 to 18 when 18 drops. Because we're not at the end of the run yet, but it's great. So yeah, check it out. Um, and that's pretty much all I have to say on that because it's just all kinds of electric awesome, and uh, everyone needs to read it. Um, and uh, the list of names on this one—it's uh, quite a big production again. But we've got writers: Donny Cates. Donny Cates takes the main writing credit for it as well. Um, I think he's kind of like the. Uh, the sort of biggest pen in there. Uh, and you've got Katie Cook, Al Ewing, Kieran Gillen, Christopher Hastings, and then you've got art by Katie Crook, Fraser Irving, and Jeff Shaw. So yeah, it's definitely worth picking up. And I guess that brings us to a close and moves us on to the poll list. So these are comics that you can pick up upon the release of this podcast and also things you will be able to pick up the following week so um leon i don't think you've got anything for the pull list have you no my pull list is wandering into my local comic book shop or tiredly scrolling through comicsology yeah (laughs) on new comic book day that's that's how i that's how i get down i'm not as organized as you guys Oh, it's not it's not quite a military operation. These are just all things that I've seen that I'm looking forward to and may or may not pick up depending on what they have and haven't got in the comic book store when I get there and what isn't isn't available on eBay when mm. it's sold out in the comic book shop. Um but for this week, so upon the release of this podcast, which will be the fourth of April, so the fourth of the fourth, twenty eighteen, we have um, a book called Isola or Isola. I'm not quite sure how it should be pronounced. Uh, and uh, that'll be Isola number one. And that is published by Image Comics. Now, this looks quite interesting because it looks like it's kind of got um, a fantasy edge to it. And again, it's how I've described Extremity in the past as having a kind of Ghibli-ish thing going on for it. This has got that kind of thing as well. That kind of... Um, uh, Laputa style stylization about it um, with uh, the way the tech and the, the way the fantasy element plays together with that and uh, this is by uh, Brendan Fletcher and Carl Kershaw and um, you've got artist Masik and uh, Carl Kershaw as well so they it's they basically they come together to bring well what it says here on the official uh, previews page I'll just read this out so childhood friends Brendan Fletcher of Motor Crush and Eisner Award winning storyteller Carl Kershaw, uh, Gotham Academy, reunite on the comics page with a breathtaking fantasy adventure two decades in the making. The captain of the Royal Guard has fled the capital city with the Queen of Mar, suffering under the effects of an evil spell. 
Captain Rook's only hope of returning Queen Olwyn to her throne and saving the kingdom from impending war lies on an island half a world away, uh, a place known in myth as Isola, or Isola, Land of the Dead, featuring lush colour work by Masik, Gotham Academy, and letters by Adita Bidkar, Motor Crush, recommended for fans of Studio Ghibli and the works of Hayao Miyazaki. So there you go. Uh, the previews world page pretty much took the words out of my mouth as far as I was saying. It looks very Ghibli. But yeah, um, East Isola. So that's one I'll be picking up uh, and possibly talking about on the next cast. Uh, we've got Scales and Scandrels number eight, another new book from Image called Analog, which um, the, low, the, the, the sort of long and the short of it uh, for this one is that um, five years from now, the security of the internet has been completely destroyed and secrets aren't sent over the web anymore. They're carried on paper by dudes carrying briefcases. And uh, I get the feeling it's a very dangerous profession to be in and people get beat up and shot a lot. Um, so, yeah, this is about uh, this this profession. They call them ledger men. And this is, this is a, a story about the ledger men. So yeah, that book's called Analog. So that's another interesting one to pick up. And that is Jerry Duggan and David O'Sullivan. And uh, of course, we've got the uh, next installment of Marvel 2 and 1, Marvel 2 and 1 number 5, which is the continued adventures of The Thing and the Human Torch as they search for the two missing members of the Fantastic Four, um, which we have recently discovered are making a comeback uh, because there was an announcement. um, I think Marvel put some stuff on Twitter and it's kind of been sort of in various places on the comics net, uh, various different places that talk about comics and things have have spilled the beans that the Fantastic Four are on their way back. So keep an eye out for that one. Um, now with uh, and I think this Marvel Two in One stuff will be like the lead up to the new Fantastic Four books when they finally arrive. So the following week, which will be uh, the eleventh of April, we have uh, two two things on here that I've put on. Um, I've got the um, second installment of Oblivion Song so Oblivion Song number two which is the one that we talked about before and that is uh, the guy brought to you by the guy that wrote The Walking Dead and we've also got The Spider King number three and that brings us to a close so um, that has been Ace Comicals number 32 um, you can find us at www.acecomicals.com, which is the hub for everything. Uh, we have all our podcasts available there. And uh, that's also got links to the various places that you can find the podcast and other things that we do outside of the cast as part of the cast. So uh, you can find our Instagram page where we are Ace Comicals. You can find us on Facebook under Ace Comicals. You can find us on Twitter at Ace Comicals. You can find us on WordPress, which is acecomicals.wordpress.com. You can find us on... Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Castro. Um, you can find me on Twitter under at Bato. That's uh, B-A-T-T-O-U. Uh, if you want to field a question, uh, you can field it to the Ace Comicals Twitter account, either at Reply or send us a DM, uh, or you can come straight to me on Twitter and you can field a question to me at Bato. Um, or you can send us an email to acecomicals at gmail.com. Uh, Leon, where can we find you? You can find me at Leon Everett. And um, yeah, in just over a month's time of uh, 
when this episode goes up, it'll be free comic book day. So uh, looking forward to that, and uh, we'll hopefully do some interesting things for that for that uh, occasion. Yeah, free comic book day. Definitely looking forward to that, and um, maybe for the next episode, I can get some uh, sort of like previews together of what we can look forward to free comic book day because a lot of places i think a lot of um, publishers have already got sort of some kind of like semi list up for what they're going to be releasing yeah um, and things like that so i think we've already got kind of an idea of what we might be getting on free comic book day so hopefully i'll have more information by then i'll be able to that'll be about cool it. it was quite fun last year um so we got a topic this year yeah uh we've got to have something to watch this year because last year yeah, we watched yeah. uh, Suicide Squad, so I think we need something on that level. Um, haven't quite decided what yet, but there's been a few. There's been a few ringers at the cinema um, that I think we'll might be good something. fodder for that. Yeah, we'll find something. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, that has been Ace Comicals episode thirty-two. So thanks for listening, guys. Ace Comicals over and out.